from KMOX Sports. The bases are loaded. This is the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm. Because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. He hits one deep to left field. You That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. It's a with special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Ah, look at this. It's Monday night. We have Sports Open Line. Did not know this until yesterday. Well, because we thought, yeah, you know, the Cardinal game would have been ending around, maybe around now, you know, kind of a, it's roughly a three-hour thing, right? Maybe a little less, usually a little more. Um, also feels like the later in the evening it is, the longer it is, but maybe that's just perception on my part. Um, you know, cause it's later in the day, but either way they had the game today moved earlier into the day. So it became a 12, 15 start instead of a three fifteen start. So we get an unexpected two hours sports up a line, which is cool. I, I'm glad we get to talk. I'm glad we get to talk about the blues opening in the playoffs tonight. I'm glad we get to talk about what we saw with the Cardinals today. What's ahead what the big issues are of the day. And I got a whole bunch of things planned. I uh, got some cool audio for you. We're going to hear a little from Craig Bruby later this hour about the Blues Wild matchup. Um, Darren Pang was on with Mike Claiborne yesterday on sports on a Sunday morning. There are a couple things in there uh, that I wanted to do, get to. We'll do that at the beginning of next hour. Uh, but that game's later on, so we got time to do all that throughout the course of these two hours. The game's not till 8.30 tonight. So Blues and Wild opening a series. We'll talk about that. I have my thoughts, and obviously I'm going to let you hear uh, what the more expert opinions like those of Craig Berube and Darren Pang have to say about the matchup as well. We got some Cardinal stuff later on in the show. I want to talk about the bullpen. Um, how about Ryan Helsley, dude? <laughs> 103. I mean, it's no Ben Joyce. Have you guys seen this? Ben Joyce is a relief pitcher for University of Tennessee. He threw a pitch this weekend at 105.5 miles an hour. And he threw 33 fastballs in the outing. 28 of them were 103 or more. That's nuts. It's insane. And obviously it's the it's the trend. At some point, are we gonna I, I wonder if like one day, because of all of these breakthroughs in training and understanding how to throw harder and all that, I wonder if we're gonna get somebody up to like 108. Like right now, you know, because look, man, like 10 years ago, people are like, yeah, 100, 101. Well, then along comes Roldis Chapman and a bunch of other dudes that can throw 104, Jordan Hicks, 105. And now you got a dude that's like averaging 102, 103. It's ridiculous. But anyway, I got to talk about Ben Joyce very much. But I, I want to talk about Ryan Helsley and what he, the start that he's off to is just phenomenal. And I wonder if, I wonder if he's going to end up assuming the role of the Cardinals' best reliever. Note, I did not say closer because that's not necessarily the guy that's the best reliever. In the modern bullpen usage, maybe the guy that pitches before the closer could be used in a more difficult circumstance. Anyway, we'll get to that coming up next hour. Uh, Also next hour, I'm going to tell you guys this. If you didn't hear the Friday Night Live by Lowe's following the Cardinals game on Friday, so I'm following Cardinals Friday home games moving forward, we're going to be doing the post-game show with Klaibs and Ricky Horton and a guest um, after the ball game uh, over at the Lowe's Hotel, the really cool like outdoor patio there, which is, by the way, you don't have to stay at the hotel to go there. You can like go there and eat and drink and, you know, see who we're, you know, who's hanging out with us on the Friday nights. You can go there other nights too, but, um, you know, that's going to be a fun time. Well, John Mosellock was the first guest. I'm going to tell you, there, there was some stuff in here. I've, I've been talking to, interviewing, and listening to John Mosellock talk 
since 2006. And this past Friday was some stuff I had not heard of before. I had not heard some of the things that he talked about, and it was really interesting. We'll have that later on in the show. Right now, I want to talk about takeaways from the weekend and from today. And obviously today, uh, the Cardinals get a one nothing win. And it was another well-pitched game by Steven Matz. And it's been weird. You know, like Matz has had a couple of rough games, a couple of games where the ERA gets smoked. But three games, he's been now phenomenal. And it's three of the last four games. So it's it's good to see um, get the contributions from him. Uh, the bullpen was great again today. You know, three shutout innings. There's a one nothing win. Paul Goldschmidt's home run. The only run of the game. That happened in the bottom of the first inning. It's funny because you had a game here where they knew bad weather was coming and it was played like that. I mean, it was super fast. The pitchers did a great job, threw a lot of strikes. Neither team's offense did much of anything, but the Cardinals get the win. And I, I, I want to spend some time this hour talking about perspective when it when it comes to evaluating a team. And I'm going to use a, an example today. I, I, got, I got into what I would call a pretty good argument with a, a friend of mine today via email. Because we're talking baseball. So it's nothing serious. Like we're not, we're, There's no hatred or anything like that. It's not like we were arguing about anything serious. We're arguing about baseball. But it wasn't about the Cardinals because my friend is not a Cardinals fan. But he was mad at, a, at, his, at, at his team. He's a Tigers fan. He's mad at the Eduardo Rodriguez. Not mad. That's not the right word. Disappointed in the signing because he's not pitching like an ace and they need him to pitch like an ace. And my, my response was, he's not an ace. He wasn't paid to be an ace. He was paid $15 million a year. Aces are paid $35 million a year. So the point that I wound up getting to was not necessarily about Eduardo Rodriguez and this guy's fandom of the Tigers. It was about expectations and how we set them. And too often we set expectations at what we want a player to be rather than what the player actually is. And no, this is not about Paul DeYoung either. Because that's a different thing. I, I think Paul DeYoung, the expectations should be significantly higher than the production has been. And at some point, if it doesn't change here real soon, and I mean like real soon, there will be alternative plans in motion. But you can't expect someone to be something that they're not. You can't look at a player who has told you what they are for the last two, three, four, five years, you know, in the case of Eduardo Rodriguez, it was because, you know, a guy reached for agency. So clearly you've done it for six years. When a player tells you what, what they are, believe them. Don't expect that there's more there. Now, again, occasionally we do get those surprises. You know, occasionally you're going to get a J.D. Martinez example, a guy that, you know, at 27 years old, finally makes a swing change and he goes from, you know, 4A hitter, you know, guy that's too good for AAA, not good enough for the majors, to like legitimate major league all-star middle of the order bat. That happens, but it's super rare. It's not a common thing. But let's talk about that idea of expectations. And that's what I want to get into next. Not necessarily about any particular player but expectations of a team's decision-making process. Instead of being mad that it's not what you want it to be, how about look at it for what it is? And we can disagree with what it is, right? Like, I can disagree with being too patient or too impatient or whatever. 
But doesn't what's happening with the team calm down some of your concerns? Like if your team is going well anyway, do you really need to worry about that thing? It's a tough question because early in the year, we have small sample sizes. Terrible things seem really terrible. Great things seem really great. And over the next five months, it's all going to balance out. But we don't have those five months yet. We have one month. So let's talk a bit about expectations and perspective as it relates to, sure, Paul DeYoung at shortstop or other players whose performances aren't what we want them or need them to be or what a team's thought process is on how they construct their roster and whether or not it's realistic to expect them to change when you would like them to change or when I would like them to change. Let's get into those those thoughts on expectations for change and how early in the season it even makes sense to have these discussions. We get to that next up on KMOX. All right, let's move along. A little more baseball here, and I want to talk about expectations. I know I set it up in the last segment. I'm not going to do the setup again. But expectations when it comes to how teams behave in sports. Doesn't matter what team it is, really. Um, In this case, we can talk about the Cardinals because every day, every day, I'm getting messages from people like, when are they just going to dump DeYoung? And I keep telling everybody, they're not going to dump him. He's not going anywhere. They might change out the playing time arrangement, and eventually I think they will, just like they did in the second half of last season, where they got to a point where it was a problem they couldn't overcome. Edmundo Sosa got to play, and he played very well in, in that time. They're giving him the chance this year. It's not going particularly well. But I also would, would note, and I think it's important to note, that Paul DeYoung's start to the season is no worse than Tyler O'Neill's. Tyler O'Neill's OPS is under 500 right now. He's at 497 on the OPS. That's on base and slugging combined. And Paul DeYoung is 472. So it's worse, but they're in the same ballpark. Dylan Carlson is right there with those two. Yet the only noise that's being made is about Paul DeYoung. And I understand it. I get it. Right? I mean, O'Neill had a monster year last year. He bought himself a lot of benefit of the doubt with that year. And I agree with that. But the same principle applies when you're talking about an organization's thought process. They didn't spend a whole offseason and a whole spring getting ready to say we're gonna we're gonna completely change gears after four weeks. Doesn't mean they won't tweak, it doesn't mean they shouldn't. You know, you could make the argument that, hey, they, they, they might be better if you played Tommy Edmond at shortstop and put Nolan Gorman at second base. And on some days, maybe they would. And you know what? That might end up being what happens at some point. But part of this is understanding the team that you're talking about. What have the Cardinals valued more than almost anything else in recent years? They've they valued defense. They had five gold glove winners last year. They had good defenders at every position. And when you value that part of your team, 
you're not just going to abandon that in two spots up the middle because a hitter is off to a crappy start. Now, I I agree with all of you when you when you're assessing DeYoung that it's more than just a crappy start. I spent 10 minutes on it last week on Sports Open Line talking about how this whole struggling against off-speed and breaking balls thing has been happening for years and teams are now feeding him more of those and fewer fastballs, which is making it even more problematic. So again, I see the same problem that you do. But I also operate with the understanding in this particular case that there isn't an amazing alternative at the moment. Even though Gorman seems like it because he's killing it, right? He's got 11 home runs. He's got more home runs than anybody in the minor leagues. He's hitting over 300, too. I mean, it's not like it's it's just 11 home runs. He's hitting 321. He is also, by the way, striking out 36% of the time against AAA pitchers. In case you don't know that, don't know this, but 36% is a lot. So, like, in a 600-at-bat season or, or a 600-plate appearance season, we'd be talking about 200 strikeouts. So, yeah, uh, and more than 200. I mean, it would be a lot. It's like it's Joey Gallo strikeouts. Doesn't mean that it wouldn't still be worth it. It might. But you're also talking about a player that is still relatively inexperienced defensively at a middle infield position for a team that values the defense. And I just don't think they're ready to go that far yet. Now, again, I get the logic of it. What I don't get is the anger related to expectations on this not being met because it's just not going to happen. Not yet. It might happen. In fact, I bet you it will happen. At some point in the not-too-distant future, it, it could very well happen. Or maybe, you know, like, you know, it's been weird because, you know, Corey Dickerson hasn't had a lot of plate appearances. But, you know, if it doesn't happen for him here in the not-too-distant future, um, Gorman could be a part of that whole thing, too. And maybe it's not a one-position thing. Maybe it's a, you know, DH second base, and you got a bunch of guys rotating through in the middle infield. But more more important than even those things, more important than understanding what a team's philosophy is, what resources they've committed to something, is where they are in the standings. Okay, so teams that are winning, that are do it, that that are that are putting you know a solid win total up there, that are quote unquote meeting expectations, are a lot less likely to act on individual players that are struggling because the team is still winning. So, for example, the Cardinals' offense has been largely carried by Nolan Arenado and Tommy Edmond. And, so, you know, the last week or so, Paul Goldschmidt's been carrying a lot of the load, too. Well, those guys are going to slump. And at some point, the guys that are struggling are going to get hot. And it all has a way of balancing out in the end. But the Cardinals are playing 590 baseball right now. They're 13-9. and nine. That's a 96-win pace. And I'm not making that point to say that that pace is good enough or that even tells us anything in April. I mean, now that we're in early May, I mean, one month of playing that kind of ball doesn't tell you anything. you got to do it for six months. What I am seeing, though, is when a team is having success in terms of wins and losses, they're going to be a lot less likely to make significant changes with players that they've been planning on on giving an opportunity to. Winning gives you the chance to, to, to allow players to get out of their slumps without having to panic. 
And the Cardinals are winning at a 96-win pace right now. And that's one of the things that's going to allow them to be more patient. So strap in and relax, man, because the more they play well, the more games they win, the more wiggle room they're going to leave for players to start to figure it out. You know, team performance, wins and losses, cover up a lot of individual deficiencies. So when you're winning, you're a lot less worried about those things. Now, it doesn't mean that it's sustainable. It doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. And if it doesn't, well, that's when you start to see changes. But there are a lot of guys on this team that are not hitting right now. In fact, if I listed everyone in the Cardinals lineup and said, which are the which of these players are meeting or exceeding expectations so far this year offensively? How many would you say fall into that group of meeting or exceeding expectations? I mean, clearly Nolan Arenado does, right? He's hitting 359, slugging almost 700. He was the National League player of the month for the month of April. Leads the league in OPS, or at least he did at the end of April. Okay, so there's one. Who else is meeting or exceeding expectations so far? I mean, Paul Goldschmidt has a 787 OPS. Is that meeting or exceeding expectations? It's not far off. You know, a few more hits here and there, and he would be where he was. You know, maybe two more home runs, and he would be where you'd expect. But you'd have to say that he's just shy of that. Harrison Bader is not. Tyler O'Neill is not. Corey Dickerson is not. Paul DeYoung is not. Dylan Carlson is not. Brendan Donovan's too early to tell. Edmundo Sosa hasn't done much with his chances. Um... I'd say Andrew Kisner is meeting or exceeding. I mean, he's got a, a 775 OPS, and he's actually done a pretty good job behind the plate. So, okay, there's another one. And I would say that Albert is. Like, he's he's either meeting or exceeding expectations. And I would say meeting at this point. But most of the players I've listed in the lineup are not at or above the level that they that we all thought they would be. So let's not just fixate on one guy. And let's not panic after one month when you're playing at a 96-win clip. As long as you're winning, you have time to sort things out. That really is kind of the point. When you start to lose a lot more games, when you start to fall into a spot where you're getting closer to 500, then I think the sense of urgency raises. The team is not off to a great start. They probably should be better than 13-9, and but 13-9 and is good. Again, you win 96 games. You had a good year. <laughs> I don't care what definition you want to put on, whether it's a division win or a wild card, whatever. 96 is a wins a good season. So we'll see where it goes. I think there's so many of these guys that are off to slow starts. They will get hot eventually. Most of these guys are basically a five-game hot streak away from their numbers looking pretty normal. And I would say it's pretty safe to assume that Arnato probably going to slow down a little bit. I don't think we're going to see him with an 1,100 OPS at the end of the year. I hope we do, though. That'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? But we know it's not going to happen, like, you know, pretty reasonably. Just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page. Because people are like, why don't you make no noise about that? Well, because I know the team. I know what they prioritize. And I also understand that while you're winning games, you don't have a whole lot of incentive to make what you would think are dramatic changes. Well, what they would think are. All right, I, I want to get to one more quick thing. On baseball, and then we're going to start on the Blues and the Wild with their series starting tonight. Um, the pitch clocks 
are in my, my they're 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 being used in the minor leagues. A lot of rave reviews. Like the length of games are down 20 minutes. But but I thought it wasn't about the length of games. I thought it was about the pace or or creating more action or making it feel like there's more action. What I want to know is, is it making the games more entertaining or not? Because if all we're doing is cutting 20 minutes, nobody's going to give a rat's ass. Like, people who don't watch the game now aren't going to be like, wait a minute, you're telling me it's only two hours and 45 minutes now? Well, I'm in. And does it create problems? And by the way, I'm not anti-pitch clock. But there are questions, and I think problems that could probably be smoothed out. I want to get into that a little bit next up on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. All right, so I had something planned here that I was going to talk about, and I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I saw stuff on the Twitter that made me mad, so we're going to talk about that for a minute. So we'll get to the pitch clocks thing another time. I need to make fun of the Mets even more. I, I got on them last week when they were in town because they have to start a whole thing. Everybody's got to be real mad. We got to be big mad because the Mets were leading the league and hit by pitches and darn it, a changeup got away and hit Pete in the head. So now we're mad and, it, and, and we don't care if it's not intentional. It's still bad. And now today, Mets Nation is losing it because Buck Showalter got suspended for tonight's game because one of their relievers, Juan Lopez, intentionally threw at Kyle Schwarber last night in the Mets game against the Braves. I'm not the Braves. The guy that Schwarber's played for. No, he is. No. Where did did Schwarber sign? The Nationals. No. No. Phillies, Phillies. They were playing the Phillies on Sunday Night Baseball. I was watching it last night. I'm such an idiot. My brain has not been working today. But anyway, division rival Lopez throws at Schwarber. You might recall that Schwarber hit a couple of baseballs really hard in that series. And now everybody around the Mets is like, I can't believe it. I can't believe Buck gets suspended. Like you're really offended that your manager is going to sit one game because of this. You're really offended by that. I can't believe it. You're going to suspend him, but Pete's been hitting the head twice. Yeah. He got hit by a changeup. You think that's intentional? You think that really is dangerous? And also, one has nothing to do with the other, right? Like, if we're mad about people getting hit, well, then why don't you want your guys to not try to hit people? <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, we don't get mad when our guys try to hit somebody because he failed. Yeah, but he tried. That's what the league ruled. He was trying to hit him, and he missed. I just never realized that it was that bad with the Mets. And I, I you know, look, it's. It, I said this last week. I mean, it, it, it really does suck to get hit. I mean, it's not fun. Even a changeup hurts. Um, you know, it hits you in the helmet, it rings your bell. I mean, it's it's not fun. But 
do we really need to make a big deal out of everything? Like, are are the Mets of the of the opinion that so long as they lead the league and hit by pitches, then they have a right to be mad every single time somebody hits one of their guys? Is that what we're suggesting? Is that every time a batter is hit, a pitcher should have some kind of consequences? Because as Pete Alonzo put it, doesn't matter if it's intentional. There should still be consequences. Like, really? Somebody, some guy act. So your guy, Max Scherzer accidentally plunked someone and he should face consequences for that. You go tell that to Max. Go tell that to Jacob deGrom. Hey, by the way, Mr. deGrom, even though I'm your teammate, I'm going to call you Mr. deGrom because you're so good. Hey, Mr. deGrom. Next time your slider gets away and hits a left-handed batter in his back foot, you need to pay a price for that because that's not okay. You really going to have that conversation with, with Scherzer and DeGrom if you're a Mets player? Or is it just other teams that have to have that? And again, this is why my rant always turns back to the same thing. This is why unwritten rules suck. This is why you can't let players police themselves. Because they, they're going to police based on what affects them. What happens to them is terrible. What happens because of them is like, well, it wasn't on purpose. My guy doesn't mean it. Their guy means it, though. And it it, it is just weird to me that you would look at him like, well, we've been at a bunch of times here in the opening weeks of the season. Okay. But it's the opening weeks of the season. Like, it might change. You might end up finishing 20th in Major League Baseball at the end of the year. Does that mean people are still targeting you? I mean, it's such an odd thing. And then people are like, I don't know, I shouldn't be paying attention to what what people on Twitter are saying on these, because, but it's making me laugh. Like, so they're like, well, Stubby Clap can tackle Pete and nothing happened, but Buck has to sit a game. Like, oh, really? Seriously? Don't get me wrong. If they had given Stubby Clap a suspension of one game, I wouldn't have complained at all. I'd have been like, yep, okay. I mean, probably not necessary, but okay, whatever. He got a suspension. Like, nobody, it doesn't matter if if a coach or a manager sits a game. It's not the end of the world. I understand it more when you're mad that your player gets suspended. I mean, again, that that makes more sense because that's much more likely to impact the game. But like this whole back and forth, like this one guy, I saw one tweet because it was replying to Tim Healy who covers the Mets. Um, and it, it's funny to me that because like, I, I, I follow Tim Healy because I follow most of the National League baseball writers. And one of the guys was like, but Stumpy McDouche of the Cardinals does like what? Can't, are we in fourth grade? All right, maybe maybe more like eighth grade because I don't know. You know, fourth graders know those kinds of words, um, and if they do, they don't know what it means. But like, are we children? We're gonna be using like like that's the thing. Another thing that drives me nuts is the name calling thing on Twitter when you make up something dumb for somebody's name, and it just oh, okay. Like, can we move past junior high? You want to insult somebody, like really insult their work or something, you know? Don't just be like, well, you're a poophead. 
I, I do think that, you know, this is a normal thing in sports. We get very defensive about our own teams. Um, you know, we, we don't like it when bad things happen to our teams. But those of us that have grown up understand that, you know, bad things happen to our teams sometimes. Um, I would like to, you know, understand that just because something bad happened to your team, it doesn't mean that, like, the rest of the sport is against your team. It doesn't mean that the other team are bad guys and you're good guys. Sports happen. All right, I'm going to take a quick time out. I'm done with that. Sorry, I got distracted during the break. That's what happens when I look at the Twitter. Um, I want to start off on the Blues now. We can talk about the Blues in the wild. I want you to hear a few minutes from Craig Berube to kind of set the scene. Uh, At the beginning, we're going to have him talking about the goaltender choice that the Blues are facing, obviously, coming into the playoffs. Not really much of a choice, but anyway, he had a decision to make, and we'll have him talk about that. We'll talk about it, and we'll hear from Darren Pang a little bit after the news when Panger was on uh, yesterday on Sports on a Sunday with Mike Claiborne. So Blues, wild talk next on KMOX. All right, let's hear a little bit from Blues head coach Craig Bruby to get our conversation started with the Blues and the Wild. Game one of the series coming up tonight. We know the Blues have had a big advantage over the Wild in recent games, recent years, really. Uh, 9-0-1 in their last 10 against the Wild in the regular season. We also know that regular season games don't mean a damn thing when it comes to the postseason. So I want to break all of that down. We'll hear a little bit from Panger. Uh, next hour, he joined Mike Claiborne yesterday, and there were a couple thoughts I wanted to play back from that conversation. Right now, though, I want to play, I want to hear a little bit from the head coach, Craig Bruby. And today, after practice, talking a bit about a few things, including uh, the decision in net and the choice of Ville Husso as the starter for game one. Craig, other than uh, his consistency all year, Ville Husso, what told you that he's ready for this? Well, that would be how he's played all year. Yeah. Yeah, I assume that. But just in terms of uh, the big stage, you've never done it before. Well, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, like, listen, he's 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 played in some real big games for us this year, and and he's done a great job. And like I said, you know, he's he's gotten better and better as the year went along, and he's been consistent all year. And he's just got to go and do do what he's done. It doesn't nothing really changes. I know it's the playoffs, but you know, he, he just has to go play his game and do what he's done. Craig, does it make it a little easier to make that decision because the goalie a couple of years ago did the same thing? No experience. Uh, we don't really look past on that. Like that's in the past, but um, I think you just you go on what what you're feeling now more than anything. But yeah, I know we <clears throat> we look back and Benner was an inexperienced goalie back then too, and came in and did a great job for us. And uh, but again, it's it's about the team. It's not just about one player, and, and we need to we need a real team effort here, obviously, to um, be successful. And that's that's what we're going off of. It's, a, it's about the team. Uh, any thoughts on the playoff format with two teams that have well over 100 points having to match up in round one? Just to, you know, some people have said one versus eight makes more sense. What any thoughts for you? Yeah, I mean, I've been involved in both. <clears throat> it's tough, you know. You got two good teams that are going at it right away. It's not just us. There's other teams in the league too. Um, you know, I really don't. I don't really don't think about it too much. It's not my job, and you know, that's the NHL makes those decisions and. You know, that's the way it is. So I don't really focus on it too much. You opposition now with the Minnesota Wild. How do you guys think you will fare against him and, and how do you solve him? Well, I don't 
I'm, I can't. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not going to tell you how we're going to fare against them. I mean, you know, we played. We we went against Flurry a lot. You know, over you know, with different teams, Vegas and and things like that. So, he's a great goalie. He's you know he's been around a long time. He's won. He's a competitor. You know, you're going to have to be highly competitive out there uh, to 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 get goals past them. Um, you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to go to the paint. It's important this time of year. Um, to score goals, you got to you got to go to the hard areas. You got to go to the paint. It's like any other goalie. So um, you know, there's obviously different things that you look at uh, in the scout that uh, maybe we could take advantage of. But when it what it boils down to is going to the hard areas. Craig, when when you talk about series or anything like that, so many people talk about experience and, and a player's experience, the team's experience. You've been through it as a player now as a coach. Do you change as a player when you when you win and then you come into a series like this where you know it's going to be hard? Is, is it different for the players with experience? Well, I think players that have gone through it and had success and won, they understand how hard it's going to be uh, more than anything, and uh, they understand like you know the roller coaster ride you're going to be on. It, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of emotion, a lot of you know, you, and you got to put all that stuff past you all the time, and you got to move on to the next shift, the next game, things like that. So, but I think more than anything, it's the understanding of you know how tough it's going to be. It's you know when you get in the playoffs, you know you got to. It's extremely hard. Uh, the other teams playing hard, you know, so it's extremely hard. And players that have gone through it, they understand that. There you go, Craig Bruby from earlier today. And you know, that question about like the matchups, right? These are tough teams, right? I mean, the Wild have 113 points, Blues 109. If you went by the old format, the Blues would have been the number four seed in the conference, and they would have been facing the Edmonton Oilers. Does that make you any happier? Uh, maybe a little bit, but. That's a 104-point team. It's going to be tough no matter which way you do it. This is going to be a brutal series, and then after that, you're going to get Colorado if you advance. Not going to be easy. we got more on the Blues and the Wild coming up. We'll hear a little bit of what Darren Pang had to say on sports on a Sunday as well next up on KMOX.